So Ben uh, Patterson is a pastor in California, and in 1988, so quite a while ago, he was a brand new pastor, and he realized that he needed to uh, have a hobby. He needed to do something outside of church, so he decided to go all out and have the hobby of mountain climbing. So he decided to climb this mountain, and so he wanted to climb the highest mountain in Yosemite National Park. Elliot outstaged me by dress, and now he's trying to take away the pulpit from me here. Um, he uh, decided to uh, climb this mountain in Yosemite, the highest mountain he can. And so he found two experienced guides who were going to kind of climb with him, and uh, he was going to go behind, and he starts this trek to go to the top. Well, about an hour into the climb, he decides, you know what, I got this, and so I'm going to cut and take a shortcut and beat those guys to the top, so then when they get to the top, they'll be, I'll be waiting for them, and they'll say, like, what in the world are you doing? So he kind of got a little cocky, so he said, I'm going to venture off and do this. Well, as it says in the Bible, pride goes before the fall, but it wasn't a literal fall, thankfully. Uh, he climbed around, and he got stuck in this cul-de-sac, where he was at a 45-degree angle, and he realized that if he slipped and fell, he'd go about 50 miles down uh, this mountain uh, crevice. But there was a rock that was about uh, 10 feet away, and if he executed the jump just right, he could cling on that clock, uh, rock and be safe and then find his way out. But he stood in that moment just scared to death. About an hour later, his two friends found him. They saw him in this predicament. They ran a line to that rock, and they started instructing him. They said, you can make the jump over, but you have to do it a certain way. Because if you do it, what your body is going to want to do, to tend and lean for the rock, he said, you're going to slip and fall and have a backslide where you'll fall down that crevice 50 feet. You have to kind of lean into the rock and do a twist. So they're instructing him on how to do this. And he did it and he executed it perfectly and he was fine. That moment was a critical moment for Ben because if he backslid, it would have been totally fatal. Just like in rock climbing, in a spiritual sense, if we backslide away from God, it can become fatal to us spiritually. Backsliding can involve different things. Backsliding means to turn away from God. We could turn away from God uh, morally by just leaving God altogether and living however we want. We could turn away and backslide from God intellectually by like diving into other religions and looking at that and, and turning away from the faith. The people who received the letter that the Apostle Paul wrote that we're going to look at this morning, they were backsliding. They backslid into what's known as legalism. So as we've kind of been talking the last couple of weeks, when in the Old Testament, because of what was established in Abraham, the way you related to God was through the context of the Jewish faith. The Jewish faith is how you related to God. And so people who were following God, they followed God to the Jewish faith. And Jesus came on the scene. And when Jesus came on the scene, he started something new, but actually we're going to see he started something old because he kind of said, God said through Abraham, this is what was going to happen. He started this thing called Christianity. But there was a really confusing time because on the region of the time when this was being talked about, there were Jewish people who were following God through the Jewish customs, and then you had the Roman Empire, and there were Greeks who were worshiping all sorts of other gods, and now Jesus comes on the scene, and he says, come follow me. And so his 
followers, the apostles, are all over the world, the known world at the time, getting people to follow Jesus. But it was a confusing time for people because they said, do we leave the Jewish customs and go all out? Do we have to keep some of the Jewish customs? What should we do? And Paul was instructing them that, no, you leave the Jewish customs and you come fully in relationship with Jesus Christ. But there was this church that started backsliding back to these Jewish customs and using that as a way to relate to God. We are in a series right now called Free. And in this series, we're looking at the book of Galatians. And we are going to see this morning the heart of Paul's argument. Paul, the last couple chapters, has been talking to and addressing the people who brought this falsehood to this church. There's a group of people called the Judaizers. They're the ones that started kind of whispering in the ear of this church saying, no, you have to come back and follow these Jewish customs too. And so in chapters 1 and 2, Paul kind of goes after them. Now Paul's going after the church in a way and lovingly rebuking them to say, why did you believe such nonsense? But I want to look at what he's uh, looking at so we have an understanding of this. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to open up to Galatians chapter 3. We're going to focus on verses 1 to 9. Uh, to get there, you just need, if you're new to the Bible, we're glad you brought it. Uh, turn to the right. Uh, it's kind of almost towards the end. You'll go past 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, and then you'll hit Galatians. If you hit Ephesians or Colossians, you went too far. And we'll be on page 1032 in the Bible provided for you here in the worship center, 1032. Before we dive in this, into this, though, I want to give some background. And what we're going to look at this morning is the cost, the interview, and the close. The cost, the interview, and the close. As Paul is going to this church that's been deceived, that's wandering away from the truth that he brought, in this passage, he brings the cost and then he does an interview by asking them questions, and then he brings a close, like a closing argument in a legal case. And so I want to walk through these with you. The first thing we have to do before we look at and dive in is the cost. When we come to church, we say that Jesus Christ saves you from your sins. We talk about being saved. We say there's salvation in Jesus Christ. These are the words and the lingo that we use. And a lot of times we have to understand what do we really mean by that? What are we being saved from? There's three words that are very important that I believe every Christian needs to understand and know. And sometimes when people hear these words, they think, well, that's just for a goofy pastors to kind of talk about in back rooms or theologians. We, we don't have to know that stuff. We can keep it more simple. But I don't agree. These three words are three words that every Christian needs to know. And they describe what it means to be saved. That's why it's important for us to know. And we need to understand this when we look into this uh, book of Galatians to understand why Paul was so upset. Why did he have such a rebuke? So the first word we need to look at is justification. Justification means to be declared righteousness, righteous. It works like this. You realize you need Jesus in your life. And so you come before him and you say, God, I repent of my sins. Will you please come into my life? I believe in who you are and what you did on the cross. And you believe into Jesus Christ. It's not just an intellectual belief. The Bible says even demons have intellectual beliefs about Jesus and they're not saved. This belief is a believing with your whole life, with your whole heart. And the moment you do that, when you come and you repent and say, God, I turn from my sin and I turn to you and I believe in what you did, at that moment, you are justified. 
The Holy Spirit enters your life, and by a free gift of God's grace, God covers you in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, so now that when God the Father looks at you, he doesn't see you in your sin, he doesn't see you in your brokenness, which, because he's holy, has to separate you from him, he now sees you in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You are declared righteous. It happens in a moment when you pray and you accept him into your life, and it is something that you can't earn. It's something you can't make happen. It's not like God does his part, you do your part. God justifies you the minute you come to faith in Jesus Christ. It's an an act that happens from God to us by a free gift. There's nothing you can do to earn that. You can't say that rituals like we did this morning with baby dedication, that makes that happen. No, it's a free gift of God's grace and grace alone. So you are saved from the penalty of your sin. All right? The next word is sanctification. The moment that justification happens, when you are justified, the Holy Spirit takes residence in your heart, and then you begin a process of sanctification, where you become more and more like Jesus Christ as you walk on this earth as a Christian. It's a process with the Holy Spirit and you working together through prayer, through reading God's Bible, through attending worship services. You do these things to grow spiritually more into uh, the image of Jesus Christ. You become more and more like Jesus. This is a process that happens. When I was a youth pastor, there was a student who came to me and said, "Uh, Pastor Dan, I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. Can I pray right now? And I said, yeah, let's do it. And so I led him through this prayer. He gave his life to Jesus Christ. I gave him a Bible. I said, start reading Mark and come back and see me on next Wednesday. He came back next Wednesday and he said, Pastor Dan, we have a really big problem. I said, what? He goes, it didn't work. What do you mean it didn't work? It has to work. He said, I still sin. I'm still sinning. And we laugh, but we all kind of think like that, don't we? I give my life to Jesus Christ. How come I'm not all of a sudden booming instantly like him? Because we move into this process of sanctification and it's not an instantaneous thing like justification is. It's a process that happens throughout our time on earth where we grow more and more into the image of Jesus. You see, we want to be here, justification, we're justified, and then boom, transported up here where we're exactly like Jesus. But what sanctification does is it puts us on this path But the path doesn't even go exactly up to just like Jesus was. It kind of goes like this. It's like a stock market. You know, we have those moments where we really grow and those moments where we crash. But as Christians, we are moving by the power of God towards who Jesus Christ is. And we're becoming more and more like him. That process is called sanctification. That's an important word. The next one. Uh Uh-oh. There we go. Glorification. Glorification. Being made perfect. This happens when Jesus Christ comes back to earth the second time. When Jesus Christ comes back, all those who have died who are with him are going to come with him and they're going to receive glorified bodies. All of us who may be Christians who are on the earth at that time, our bodies will be changed. We will receive these glorified bodies where we are made into the image of Jesus, it says. And in that place, in that time, we will not be able to sin anymore. When we have our glorified body, there will be no more sin, there will be no more sickness, no more disease. That will happen when Jesus Christ comes again. 
That is the final process of being saved. When you become a Christian, you're saved. You get all three of these in Jesus Christ. You are justified, declared righteous. You begin this process where you are made holy. And then when Christ returns, you are free from the presence of sin forever. Glorification. Now, do you see why they call this the three tenses, past, present, future, of salvation? In justification, you are saved from the penalty of sin. In sanctification, it's a process where you are presently being saved from the power of sin. The power of sin is less and less and less in your life as you grow in Christ. And then finally that day will come when all of God's people will be saved forever from the presence of sin when they have their glorified body. See, we have to understand that this is what it means to be saved as a Christian. This is what the Bible talks about. And the reason Paul was so excited and so rebuking towards this church is because what they were believing changes the first two. There was an attack, an assault on justification and sanctification, and there was a huge cost involved. The assault on justification, when the Galatian church started listening to these false teachers and saying maybe it wasn't like the Apostle Paul said, maybe it's something else. Basically what these people were telling this church is you need to add to Jesus' work on the cross in order for God to accept you. It's not just what Jesus did on the cross. You also have to follow some Jewish customs, some Jewish laws. You have to add to that to make that happen. That breaks down the gospel. That destroys the free work of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. That's saying, Jesus, what you did on the cross is not enough for me. I have to add to it. That's why it's an assault on that justification. Also, it's an assault on sanctification. This one's a little bit more subtle, but it's real. But what we do is sometimes we get saved and then we feel like I have to pay God back. I have to earn his favor back. I got to live my life in a way where I pay him back for justifying my sin and make me more like Christ. Basically, that says my spiritual growth depends on me working as hard as I can to please God and make him happy with me. God is already happy with you when you are justified. You do not have to live a holy life in order to pay God back for his work on the cross. You can't live a holy life enough to give him apt payment for what he did. You, there's no way you could possibly do it. You have to receive this by grace. So are you saying we don't have to live holy lives? No, I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is you don't live a holy life to pay God back for saving you on the cross of Jesus Christ. You live a holy life because when you look at how amazing, how loving this grace is that God gave me, that he forgives me, that he sets me free, that he goes to a cross, and instead of me standing before a holy God and being condemned to hell forever, Jesus takes my place and takes the punishment from God. And now that when I place my faith in him, I get to stand in what he did on the cross for me instead of me standing alone, taking my punishment from God. When I realize that, the only thing I want to do is live a holy life and honor God out of love and out of grace and out of thankfulness. That's where holiness comes in. We don't live holy lives to try to pay him back because we could never pay back this amazing gift. The church in Galatia was being taken, they were accepting this teaching that was assaulting both of these things and cheapening God's grace. And the symptom of when that happens in a church is the church becomes all about them. 
it becomes about them. And it's no longer about Jesus. And it becomes about, hey, look how holy we are. Look at what we're doing. Look at all this great behavior. And it becomes more and more about them and less and less about Jesus. And what Paul is saying here is when it comes to being saved, first of all, it's by grace alone. The grace of God And grace is that unmerited favor that God loves you and cares for you just because. It's by God's grace that you're saved. Second, it's through faith alone that you believe. And what I mean by that is not just this intellectual leap, but you believe with your whole heart that Jesus died on the cross from you. And then finally, it's through Christ alone, that Christ did this not on the cross, not that we work this up. That Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes inside of you the moment you are justified and saves you. And the Holy Spirit, as you open your life to him, cleanses you from sin and makes you more and more like Jesus as you live. So that gives us a key question this morning. Will we release our will to God's and allow him to live his life through us? Will we release our will to God's and allow him to live his life through us? You see, that's the key to Christian living. That's the key to following Jesus. That is the key to overcoming sin. We allow Christ to live his life through us. It's like there's this throne in our heart. And when we come to Jesus Christ, we say, I am stepping out of this throne and you are coming into the throne. I'm yielding my life to all that you're doing. So Holy Spirit, now you take over and you live through me. And then God does and he empowers us to live the life he wants us to live. We can't live that life in our own strength. But here's what was happening. The Galatian church was trying to live their life in their own strength, and to blow this off. And this is what Paul says in verse 1 of Galatians chapter 3. You foolish Galatians, who has cast a spell on you? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? You saw him crucified. You saw what he did. And now you're leaving him. You are foolish. That word foolish means arrogant, thoughtless, mindless, He said, you're missing this. It's a stinging rebuke because this is how amazing the grace of God is. And Paul says, why would you be in that grace, receive that freely, and now just because some person told you that that's different and you have to do something else, you would accept that freely and blow off what I taught you. He said, why are you doing this? And then he wants to make a case. So he starts the case by doing an interview. Let's dive in. After the stinging rebuke, Paul asks them three questions. He asks three interviewing questions. The first one's in verse 2. He says, I only want to learn this from you. This is what he's laying out. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law, or are you believing what you heard? He's saying, did you receive the Holy Spirit by following all these rules, or did you receive it because you did what I said, you repented and believed in me? That's the question he's asking. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by works or by faith? They heard the gospel. They responded to the gospel. They believed with their whole heart. The Holy Spirit entered their lives, and now he's saying, let's go back and tell me, what was that because of? Was it because of you following all these rules, or is that because you gave your life to Jesus Christ? Look at verse 3. Are you so foolish? After beginning by the Spirit, because you believed in me, are you now finishing by the flesh in your own strength? 
He's saying, are you believing because of what God did in your life or are you finishing now by the spirit or the flesh? You began in the spirit. The goal is to yield ourselves to Jesus. When we come to Jesus, Jesus says, I've seen how you live. And it's kind of like, eh. He said, now I'm going to show you how I'm going to live through you. So why would you blow that off? Do you really think you can do this on your own? How do I live a life where I get out of being enslaved from sin? You can't, but God can through you. How do I live a life where I can love others like I should? You can't, but God can through you. How do I live a life where I take what Jesus told us to do and I walk that out in the world that he's placed me? You can't, but God can through you. You see, that is the motto of the Christian life. I can't, but God, you can through me. How do I say no to lust? How do I say no to anger? How do I say no to pride? How do I say no to all these sins that attack me? You can't, but God can through you. And so we have to be honest and say, God, would you come and through the power you've placed in me, would you help me say no to this so that I can live the way you called me to live? You see, that's the Christian life. And it comes because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. Look at verse 4. Did you experience so much for nothing, if in fact it was for nothing? What's he talking about there? Question number two that he has is Paul saying, what do you mean by so much for nothing? So Jesus comes to earth, Paul gets saved, Paul goes spreading this gospel all around this crazy area because you have Jewish people who say, we have to hang on to Jewish law, I don't know if I could fully become a Christian. You have Gentile and Greek people who say, I need to follow all the gods of the Roman Empire. And there's this crazy time that's taking place when he writes this letter. And what we have to understand is this is the area that this was happening in. You see Galatia right here on this map? That's the area of Galatia. That's where that church was that Paul is writing this letter to. This whole area, when Paul left Jerusalem and started his missionary journeys, he and his team are spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ to this whole area that's under the Roman rule of the Roman Empire. And you have people who are Jewish who are saying, yes, I need to come and follow Jesus. But what exactly does that mean? And then you have people who've been following the gods of the Roman Empire who say, I'm supposed to leave that and follow Jesus. And what does that mean? There's this kind of confusion that's going on. And when the gospel goes forward, some of the people who don't agree with Paul, they begin to persecute him to the point of death. He enters a time of suffering because they don't like the message of freedom. When someone is caught in bondage, a lot of times if you try to free them from their bondage, they want to go back to the bondage because that's a better way to live in their eyes, though it's totally false. Paul brings the freedom in Christ and he gets persecuted for it. There's no doubt that the church in Galatia had to be under that same persecution as well. Here's what happened. It says the word of the Lord spread through the whole region, but the Jews incited the prominent God-fearing women and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul, who wrote this letter to the Galatians, and Barnabas, and expelled them from their district. Some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and when they went over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, thinking he was dead. They thought they killed him. There's no doubt that this church that he started in Galatia, similar things were happening to the people there. 
Suffering was coming. Sometimes God uses suffering in our lives. We don't like it, but he brings it and he uses it. And he was bringing persecution to this church and the goal of bringing them closer to him. But what they were doing is this. They were saying, you know, if we start adding some of this Jewish law to this message that Paul brought us, maybe it'll get easier. Maybe we won't get persecuted as much. Maybe life will get easier. We can do the same thing ourselves, can't we? It's not easy to live the Christian life in our world today. It's not easy to take a stand for what the Bible says in our day-to-day lives, in our culture. And there's always that hint inside of us that maybe we back off. Maybe we just follow halfway and life will get easier for us in this culture. And Paul would say to us, are you so foolish? Don't you realize how amazing the grace of God is? It's bigger than what you could even experience in this life, even if that means hardship and suffering. It's worth the cost. He's asking them, isn't it worth the cost, what you went through? Isn't the grace of God saving you? You know what? The cost and the pain and the suffering you face on earth is nothing compared to what would have happened if Jesus didn't die for you on the cross and you faced a holy God in your sinful state and he sent you to hell, eternal conscious punishment forever. You see what Jesus did? He saved you from that. Nothing can happen to you in this life that would make it worth leaving Jesus and the free gift of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. Nothing, no matter how bad it gets. And that's what Paul was asking. He wanted them to think. He calls us as a church to think. Think through these things in the times that we live. The interview continues to this third question, verse 5. So then, does God give you the spirit and work miracles among you by your doing the works of the law, or is it by believing in what you heard? Does the spirit of God do miracles by his power or yours? See, God was doing amazing things in this church. They were seeing miracles take place to affirm the gospel of Jesus Christ and what Paul was saying. And Paul was banking on that and saying, do those miracles happen because you are so good at obeying different rules? Or do they happen because God is so good to you? See, when miracles take place in our life and when things happen, it's because of God's grace. It's because he is so good. See, this is what we need to realize and what Paul wanted the people in this church to realize That God loves us, saves us, and moves in us, not because we are good, but because he is good. That's grace. That's Christianity. That's the gospel. God does these amazing things in your life, starting from saving you from the penalty of sin that would cast you into hell, to giving you friendship and giving you the things he's given in his life, and all these amazing things. And he does that not because you are good, because you earned it. He does it because he is good, because he's a loving, good father. And when we get that, and that comes into our soul, then we live in such a way that we live the way God wanted us to live, because we're set free in grace and love. That's who he is. Some of you need to get that into your head and to your heart because you're living a life trying to earn things from God or trying to pay him back. And you need to realize that he loves you and he saves you, not because you are good. There's nothing you can do, but because he is good. That's who he is. So now he takes this argument, the cost, the interview, and he goes to the close And in the close, now he starts to address 
the Judaizers that came and told them these things. Look at verse 6 and 7. Just like Abraham, who believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness, you know then that those who have faith are Abraham's son. Now Paul is going on his own turf, the own turf of the Judaizers. He's taking their argument and he's countering it. The Judaizers said, you have to, it's not enough to have faith in Jesus. You have to add these Jewish laws. Where did these Jewish laws come from? They came from Moses. Moses got the Ten Commandments, and then the people of the Jewish people started adding to these laws so they wouldn't break those laws. And so the appeal of the Judaizers is you have to follow what Moses did. And what Paul is going to do here is he's going to one-up them. And he said, We're not going to, let's not talk about Moses a minute. Let's go back further and talk about Abraham. Abraham came before Moses. Abraham was known as the father of the faith. He said, let's talk about Abraham. How did Abraham come into uh, goodness with God? How did Abraham come into favor with God? Why did God look at Abraham and say, you are declared righteous? It was because Abraham believed. God declared Abraham righteous simply because he believed. And Paul quotes Genesis 15, 6 here. And he says, let's go back to the father of the faith, Abraham. Abraham wasn't declared righteous when God met him in that desert place because he obeyed all these laws. He wasn't declared righteous because of his good behavior. He was declared righteous because he believed that God was real and that God would take care of his sin. Many people come and ask me a deep theological question. They'll say, Pastor Dan, if Christians today are saved because they put their faith in Jesus Christ and they were cleansed from their sin because of what Jesus did on the cross. What about people in the Old Testament? Before Jesus Christ came, how are they saved? And the answer is just like us. They're saved by placing their faith in God and what Jesus did on the cross. They look forward to a time when Jesus Christ would come and he would save them from their sin. And they placed their faith that God would take care of them and God would do something. God would send a Messiah who would come and cleanse them from their sin. We put our faith in something that happened in the past. They looked forward, we looked back, but it's the same way. The way you are declared righteous is through faith, through believing, through believing into with your whole life, saying, God, I believe in what you did for me on the cross. So Paul here says, you want to talk Moses, that's fine. Let's go back further, let's talk Abraham. Abraham was declared righteous simply because he believed. And he's saying, do you see how wrong these Judaizers are that came and brought this. Look at this quote from a pastor named Donald Barnhouse. The Lord God himself, by an act of grace, moved by his love, stooped to the record and blotted out everything that was against Abraham and then wrote down on that record that he, God, credited this man, Abraham, to be perfect, even at that moment when Abraham was ungodly in himself. That is justification. See, just like you say, it didn't work, I didn't sin, I I keep sinning. Abraham kept sinning. He wasn't godly in himself, but positionally before God, God covered him in righteous because he believed and placed his faith in God. As we place our faith in Jesus Christ, we are covered, and we can't add to that. This was the summary of Paul's argument. He says, you Galatians, you want a Jewish Christianity? You want a Christianity that is sort of based in Judaism? You have it. You already have it. You want a gospel that's anchored in the Old Testament? You have it. You and all who come to Jesus are descendants of Abraham. 
And the things the Judaizers are trying to tell you are false. And see, what Paul is saying here is faith came first. Faith was before even obeying all these laws because faith in Abraham and being declared righteousness happened before the laws even existed. Faith came first before trying to obey and doing all these things. Abraham believed and it was counted to him as righteousness. That's his closing argument. You know, in the church, we can make following Jesus so confusing. And we could try to add so many things to it. And we could try to make Christianity so complicated. But being saved and declared justified and sanctified and glorified, it's very simple. All you need to do, and today I want us as a church to make a commitment to this, is to have simple faith in Jesus Christ. Just to believe that Jesus is who he said he is and he did what, we believe, what he, the Bible tells us he did by going to the cross and dying for our sin. It's a simple belief. And it's, like I said, goes beyond the intellectual to the heart and saying, God, I embrace this as true. You are who you say you are. You did what you say you would do and you saved us. See, this is going Christianity all the way, not halfway. This takes you from that place where you're unaware of your sin, and then you live a life that loves God, loves others, and serves the world. It's all done by the power of God. So here's my question for you. Based on all that, I hate it when tech stuff doesn't work, but it's usually operator error. Do you have a relationship with Jesus that's based on grace? Do you have a relationship with Jesus that's based on grace? This is what I mean by this. Not that your relationship with God is you doing all these things to make sure that you're okay with God. But do you have a relationship with Jesus where you know it's a gift that God gave you and that he loves you and it's because he is good, not because of any kind of behavior or thing you can do. We behave in holy ways because we respond to him in love. We don't behave in holy ways to pay him back. Do you get that? Maybe you're here and you would say, you know what, I don't even think I have a relationship with God. I don't even know what you're talking about. Today would be a great day to do that, to begin a relationship with God, and all you have to do is go before him and say, God, will you forgive me for all my sin? I repent of all the things I've done wrong in my life. I acknowledge who you are, and I want you in my life, and I want to follow you. Would you come inside me, and would you make me new? You just have to have a conversation with God like you would a friend. And just share this with him. And you will begin this relationship, God, based on what he did for you on the cross. Not because of where you're in the system of trying to pay him back. Hoping your good outweighs your bad. Hoping that a baptism covers you. Hoping the Bible says none of that will work. The only thing that will work when you die and stand before God is that you placed your faith in Jesus Christ and him alone. Do that today if you haven't. I want to give you a moment because just as Paul wanted the people of Galatia to think, I want you to think. I want you to think about that question. Do you have this relationship with God based in grace or are you trying to earn favor with God through behavior, through duties, through all such other things? I'm going to take a time of silence. I just want you to think about that a minute and then I'm going to close this in prayer. What is your relationship in Jesus based in?
if you felt like relating to God is like striving and trying to make this thing happen and carry this huge weight, Jesus wants you to know right now, it's by grace. Simply believing in him and he covers you. And then you walk into that identity day by day by the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you haven't begun a relationship with Jesus Christ, today's the day to do that. We consider you to do that. Just go before him and ask him to come into your life freely by grace. So let us pray together right now. Father in heaven, I thank you for this gift of the gospel. I thank you for the goodness that you give us. I thank you that you save us and that we receive you freely as a, through this gift. Nothing we could earn, nothing we could do to make it more. Lord, I pray as we live in a world that's so anti-grace, that you would open the eyes of our heart, that we would have a deeper understanding of what grace is. Father, I know in some of us there's this stiff arm that's saying it can't be that easy. It has to be harder, and we have to make sure. God, will you come and place your finger on that? We don't want to rob you of the amazing work that you did on the cross, so help us to look at this rightly. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.